The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. EJ, we're here. The last episode of the series. That doesn't feel real. Oh my God. We've been working on this for months and months and months. All the writing, all the recording, all the back and forth, the editing. Uh, we, I mean, we didn't even do the editing. Our editors no. did the editing and they worked harder than anybody on this. Yeah. Um, it's unbelievable that we are now finally on the last day picking the last division, and we couldn't ask for a more beautiful morning to do it in. It's perfect weather, which is good because we have an incredibly or a set of incredibly tough choices in front of us. Uh, I actually think in terms of if you're new to the series, we pick, uh, you know, award winners and division winners and coach of the year and all that. Like one of these categories might be the toughest pick of the entire series. I think it is the toughest pick. And spoiler alert, it's defensive player of the year of the AFC East because all of these defenses are loaded, literally all of them. We talked them up all week about how much we, we like all four of them. They all have star power. They all have elite players. How do you really choose? You could throw a stick and hit a winner in this division and be right or be wrong because, you know, we're going to list, uh, you know, a laundry list of players and we're still not going to hit them all. It is one of the more loaded divisions on that side of the ball. Um, but no shortage of talent on offense either. So we got plenty to talk about today. Well, with that, not trying to belabor the point too much, for the last time in this series, Jay, Autumn, Anthony, please hit the intro. Welcome once again to the Blue Lake Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman. Here's my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. We're up here in the Pacific Northwest enjoying the most beautiful summer weather in the entire country, and I'm willing to fight anybody who disagrees. Uh, I don't live here. He does, and I'm eternally jealous, and I'm considering moving because, oh my God. Just buy a summer house, man. <laughs> You're not going to be super jealous in like January or February, but this is the business Just right here. Just buy a summer house. How much do you think we make, EJ? Well... Not enough to buy a summer house up here, but uh, you'll love the summer weather up here. You're always welcome. Um, I definitely wanted to do a bunch of the series up here because a lot of people think this is a myth, kind of like Sasquatch. Well, depending on what you think about Sasquatch. <laughs> Spoiler alert, might be a myth, might not be. But summer weather in the Pacific Northwest does exist, and it is elite. We're talking AFC East today in this beautiful weather. Uh, and going into it, we thought that the AFC East top to bottom would have been the most powerful division, you know, because again, their worst team, quote unquote, worst team 
was still seven and ten and still had an elite defense and star power all over the place. Um, and you know, we're literally one piece away, and then they got that piece this offseason. Their worst team was the Jets, and the Jets are like if they were in the NFC South, they would have been competing for the division lead, right? And yet, going off power score, which by the way is not a metric that we just like made up out of thin air. It's based off of the granddaddy of all stats for football, EPA per play. So it is mathematically sound. And that metric had the AFC East technically as the third most powerful division. Technically. And we say that because in terms of power score, they tied for second. And our tiebreaker was wins because winning is the thing in the NFL. It still matters. It's not what we're going to use first because, as we've mentioned many times in the series, wins are fickle. Uh, you know, we brought the Vikings over and over again as a sort of pretender team. We talked about the Patriots this week, which was the reverse, a more powerful team that didn't have the breaks go their way, didn't win as many games. But it does seem the most logical tiebreaker. So AFC East finished second in power score, but third based on the tiebreak. So NFC East was first. AFC North was the team that the AFC East tied with, but they had one more divisional win than the AFC East. So AFC East, a very powerful division, ends up in third out of eight based on power score. And when you look at it, that holds up. Buffalo obviously won the division last year by four whole wins. They went 13-3. and Um, Were it not for the Bengals game that got canceled, who knows, maybe they could have gone 14-3 and or... 13-4, 13-4, we'll never know. But either way, they were good enough to get 13 wins in a loaded AFC. So they're top dog in the division. In terms of playoff teams, you had Buffalo and Miami. Miami was injury-stricken, uh, especially during the second half of the year. You know, Tua on and off the field. Uh, I, I firmly believe that if Tua stayed healthy, and I said this in the Dolphins episode, if Tua stayed healthy, they could have made a real run at the number one seed in the conference because they were absolutely tearing people limb from limb before he was, like, out-out, right? Um, and, hell, like, I, I saw that team live in week three, and they they took it to Buffalo. And we can talk about heat all you want, but, like, from a talent perspective, from a schematic perspective, they were right up there with the best of the best of the AFC. They just happened to get dinged up quite a bit. Um, but they still were good enough to make the playoffs and be the other playoff team from this division. In terms of late-season surge teams, who really finished strong? You had Buffalo finishing the year 5-0, and despite all of their own injury issues, which ultimately caused them to, to get knocked out in the playoffs. But to still outlast those in the regular season and finish 5-0 and in the last five is pretty insane. Buffalo, we talked about this extensively in their episode, which was the Capper episode. We didn't do that on purpose. Again, we set our schedule at the beginning of the year, and there are a lot of sort of lucky bounces. And one is that we got to talk about the team that finished first overall in bootleg power score by a bunch as the last team. Definitely something to sort of hold till the end, best for last, that sort of thing. It's hard to understate how good this Buffalo football team was. And I know that's painful to hear, Bills fans. I get it. This was, I don't want to say the opportunity, but a prime opportunity. And everybody knew it from the preseason. At this time last year during this podcast, everybody knew that the Bills were loaded up. And they delivered. They came through with a bootleg power score of five. Again, best in the entire league. It's a ridiculous score because it's like golf score. If you're number one in everything, which nobody will ever be, all six categories, your bootleg power score would be one. The fact that they have a power score of five 
incredibly balanced team, offensive, defensive, run, pass, didn't matter, scoring. They were good at all of it. And I know that feels like a wasted chance. And it a little bit is. You can't, but again, a single elimination tournament like the NFL playoffs, you get a bad roll, you get a bad bounce, you're out. And there are as many of those stories as there are teams in the NFL. Bill's power score of five, but the rest of the division, we talked about it, was very, very good. Dolphins' power score was 17. Patriots was 15. Jets was 18th. If you add all those up, Again, their division power score was 55 and one less win than the AFC North, so that put them third overall in terms of divisions. But all these teams were good. You talked about the Jets being basically a quarterback away. You talked about, I don't think there's a more high-leverage player in the league than Tua. If mm-hmm. Tua is on the field and healthy and good, Dolphins can beat anybody, and I mean anybody. If he's not, they might drop two spots in their own division because, yeah. again, everybody's so competitive. And the Patriots, we talked about it, you know, again, and – all-world defense that just needed the offense to get medium, just needed the offense to get right. We think that'll happen this year. So even though they were this good last year, they could be even better going into 2023. And that's what's kind of amazing is at least three out of these four teams I do think will be better. The Jets for obvious reasons. The Dolphins is more contingent on health, and they've already got banged up already. Um and, and the Patriots, just by nature of improving an offensive coordinator, injecting even more talent into the defense, adding at least one more piece that we like on offense. Three-quarters of this division, which was already an elite division, has gotten better. Buffalo, we'll see. Um, most of the core is still there, but it's also one year older. Uh, you got some guys still coming off injury. I'm in wait and see mode, and and that sounds negative, but it's more so. It's like, can they really win 13 games again? I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe they'll win like 11, but still, like if our I don't know team in this division is winning 11 games, like come on. Yeah, all four of them are going to be legitimate contenders for playoff spot. Obviously, they're probably not all going to make it. That very rarely happens, but I fully believe all these teams are going to be in it at the end. Shifting gears a little bit to notable free agent additions across the division. This is a big reason why we think this division is still going to be good because all of them had either decent or amazing March free agency cycles. Um, It's hard to pick if we had to narrow down all of these notable free agent additions to one pick for each of us for biggest impact player. But I'll give you first choice because I know where you're going to go with it and I know that this man has traumatized you your entire adult life. And so I think you've earned the right to pick him. Puna Ford. <laughs> I actually forgot Puna was in Buffalo now. <laughs> yeah, after the interception return he had in camp? Come on. Big man, Before, six. When, when I was looking at the the Bills rundown this week, and in the back of my head I was like, God, can, can you imagine a more powerful team that got tripped up because freaking Daquan Jones got hurt? Like, they really need more defensive tackle. Oh, God, they got Puna. <laughs> Let's go. (laughs) But in all seriousness, the man we're talking about is Aaron Rodgers. Very glad he's out of the NFC North, but also glad for all the Jets fans that they have a legitimate answer at quarterback. That is the player, the position that they were away from being competitive for the top of this division. Robert Sala's, you know, and Jeff Olbrich's defense, very, very good, as you said, loaded with stars on that side of the ball. They did extremely well in the draft on that side of the ball last year. They played up and I would say above expectations very quickly, but the offense just couldn't get out of its own way, and it was largely because Zach couldn't get it done. 
Mm-hmm. Now, he's the backup on this team this year, but Aaron Rodgers, completely different stratosphere as a player, we believe, will bring that offense at least to the midline, but probably above that. I don't think there's another way to look at this division and not say that Aaron Rodgers is the most impactful free agent ad, you know, maybe in the last 20 years for the Jets. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, I guess since Favre, but like Aaron right now is a better quarterback than Favre was when he became a Jet. So it, it probably trumps Favre, to be perfectly honest. Plus, it's a better team than than when than when Brett got there. So, um, you know, the other Brett, the other Brett. <laughs> Plus, I'm pretty sure that Aaron Rodgers isn't a felon, so, you know, that's also a plus. Uh, I know, you're trying not to say everything you, you want to how say. How's your, <laughs> ha, oh, no, can't do it. It's a whole other podcast. In terms of non-Aaron Rodgers choices, because I was going to give you Rodgers no matter what, but I still wanted to go with my own. And it's unfortunate because we're not going to see him probably until December. That's Jalen Ramsey. But if the Dolphins make the playoffs, like I think they will, whether it's winning the division or being a wild card or whatever, when they're there in January and Jalen comes back, I think his impact as a do-it-all DB cannot be understated. He's somebody who, you know, if we're facing a problematic tight end in the slot a la Travis Kelsey, Put him on Travis on third down. Take him away so you can allocate other resources to everybody else uh, if you need to. You know, if we're facing a, a big receiver outside um, that we really want to restrict from getting down the boundary. I still think that Jalen, when he's healthy, is better at doing that than every other corner on the Dolphins roster. And that's saying a lot because they got some really good ones. So I think he's elite against the run as an inside player, better against the run than, than Cater Kohu. And I love Cater Kohu. You know that. But, like, as a blitzer and a, and a run-defending nickel, he's better there than Cater. I think he's a better boundary corner than X when he's healthy. So the fact that they have this still top-tier movable chess piece that, depending on game plan, we could put outside or inside or follow certain matchups or if you want to play certain coverages against certain formations that they like to run certain things out of, the fact that you can put him anywhere and everywhere, it, it's an incredible advantage for Vic Fangio. And I hope that he comes back as soon as possible because they brought him in to transform what they can do from a coverage perspective. And I do not say that lightly. He is one of the most important DBs in the entire NFL, and, uh, and they're going to miss him dearly until he gets back. Two things about Ramsey. The first, and this is going to sound really strange because he's been much healthier of his career than the player I'm going to mention, but in terms of his impact this year, coming back late in the season, we think that's his timeline right now, and having a large impact on what could be a playoff run feels a little bit like Bob Sanders. You know, when I was DMing uh, our buddy with the Dolphins about this, I literally said 2006 Bob Sanders energy. So, uh, yeah, the nice little Vulcan mind meld we yep, got going here. Sharing a brain it's again. It's the same thing, though. Yeah, it feels like a very similar setup. Like, is that Jalen Ramsey's music? I think it is. <laughs> it's December. Here he comes. 
In terms of what he can do on the field, uh, he does change their defense, and that's exceptional because their defense, especially the defensive secondary, is already very good. So very few players that we could say that about in the league. But Jalen Ramsey is on a skill level of very few players in the NFL. So that fits. Now, if I'm going to put you on the spot and say this is kind of like fantasy football and basically Jalen Ramsey's on a bye week for the first yeah. three months, who would your backup be? Who would your choice be? Ooh. See, I feel like I'm cursing him by saying this, uh, and I hope that this doesn't immediately make him tweak his hamstring again. Uh, David Long Jr. I love David Long. I am a, an, an ardent supporter of everything he does. He's rangy, he's tough, he's instinctive. You know, soft tissue injuries is just the one thing, right? And and Titans fans let us know forcefully in the comments that that's the reason why he's no longer in Tennessee. Vrabel specifically called him out for getting hurt a lot, and that's why they replaced him with Aziz Al-Shair. But if he stays healthy in Miami, specifically with soft tissue injuries, he is going to be a phenomenal linebacker for them and have a similar impact in that defense as sacrilegious as this sounds, a similar impact in that defense to what Mike Milano has, or sorry, not Mike Milano, Matt Milano has in Buffalo. And and Matt Milano is one of the best linebackers in the entire league. In terms of fit and scheme, couldn't agree more. Thought you might pick long. Um, Damian Harris gets a little bit of love for me because he could be stealing a lot of goal line carries for a team that should be in the red zone quite a bit. So keep an eye on that. But David Long would have been my choice as well. Less goal line carries for Josh to take, which to me is a good thing. You know, as long as we're not getting him beat up inside the five-yard line again, I'm okay with it. Yeah, year and a half overdue, but better late than never. Uh, let's flip it over to rookies now. Again, a lot of notable rookies entering the division, a lot of choices that you and I can both have here for uh, biggest year one impact out of this rookie class. Who is your choice? Well, I'll get to it in a second, but... Again, low-key, under the radar, Cam Smith has been having a great camp for Miami, and he was the other corner, even at his own school, uh, coming out in this draft. He was the one that was less heralded as we went down the stretch. Was I wrong or weird for having a higher grade on Cam, though? Because that's how I saw it, was that he was the better one in that defensive backfield. But it felt like a lot of draft media had it the other way around and I thought I just thought I was weird for doing that I don't think it's weird I think it comes down to the classic sort of draft paradox of are you drafting the player who's better now or the drafting the player who you think has a higher ceiling and a lot of people lean towards eventual potential athletic ceiling whereas Cam Smith was a better player pretty much all the way through so just a shout out to Cam Smith but I'm going ride or die with my choice Dalton Kincaid um was early on the Dalton Kincaid bandwagon. He was my first offensive gem in our, you know, pre-draft offensive gems episode for a reason. Deeply believe in his skill set and everything he showed in camp so far. All the reviews basically back that up. The uh, the hype train's picking up speed. Will probably be the number two option receiving as a rookie tight end in Buffalo this year in terms of targets. Might be in terms of yards. I don't think so. Um, but he is going to, I don't want to say transform that offense because Dawson Knox is already really good. Uh, but he's going to add an element they didn't have. And I always love it when a very good team is able to you know, grab a player in the draft that can have that kind of immediate impact. So Dalton Kincaid all the way for me. 
he's basically just going to be a big slot for them. And they've, they've even acknowledged that of like, Hey, we're using him heavily as basically a wide receiver, which we knew going into it. Like that's what he was going to be. You know, he's a, he's a wide receiver, which is different letters next to his name on the depth chart. That being said, he's going to be a damn good one. And I, I think looking at his skill set, he's one of the most impressive receiving tight ends that we've seen enter the NFL in the last several years. His acceleration is top-notch. His ability to stack on DBs, not just linebackers, but DBs and get vertical on them is special. His feel against zone coverages is Travis Kelsey-ish. His yeah. yak skills, his toughness, he's just a smaller Travis Kelsey in terms of skill set. I'm not saying he is Travis Kelsey because how can you possibly project somebody to be maybe the greatest tight end to ever live? But on tape, it's hard not to see Travis. And that's why they took him, right? Even despite all the medical issues. Because there were several teams that were like, not on your life are we taking him in the first round. The Bills were like, he's so special. As long as our doctors give like halfway a thumbs up, he's ours. Next thing you know, he's Buffalo Bill. So I think he's a special, special player. Do not fault you whatsoever for going with him. I, however, went with somebody who's going to be tasked with taking away Dalton Kincaid, another Pac-12 defender, Christian Gonzalez, who should not be a New England Patriot. And we said that in the Patriots episode earlier this week. The fact that he went 17 was a surprise in itself. The fact that he, as a corner, went behind Emmanuel Forbes was stunning. (laughs) My grades on those two players could not have been further apart. I thought Christian Gonzalez uh, had a very easy case for CB1 in this class. He's an incredible athlete, great technician, ball skills, can play inside, can play outside. He's got everything you want. And for him to just be gift-wrapped to the New England Patriots at 17th overall uh, was criminal to me. And I'm a little bit pissed that it happened, not going to lie. Because now we're going to have to deal with this guy to build Belichick defense for the next 10 years. It's also typical. Criminal, but typical. It's uh, one of those things that happens for years. We've said it happens to the Ravens, right? Comes to the Ravens pick, and we're like, how's that guy? Of course the Ravens are going to pick him. Cornerback was the Patriots' biggest need. Um, He was one of the very best on the board in terms of how he fits with their system. And again, talking about... Who's a better player right now between Devon Witherspoon and Gonzalez? I'd say Witherspoon right now, but in terms of overall ceiling and athletic potential, that's where Gonzalez was getting his votes because he's not done learning into the position, still young as a football player, and has an incredibly high ceiling. You give him to one of the best defensive minds in the NFL possibly ever. Yeah, it's going to be a thing. That brings us finally to division predictions which a lot of people love just skipping right to this part. We look at the analytics, folks. We know what you do. We know what you do. So let's get into predictions here. We're going to start with division MVP. Not going to lie, I went back and forth a lot on this. Because I knew I was going to go quarterback. The question was which quarterback, right? Aaron obviously has a case if he can elevate the Jets from being a 7-win almost playoff team to an 11 or 12-win definite playoff team and first seed contender. Hard not to pick Aaron. Hard not to pick Tua because he was on an absolute tear uh, before you know his injuries last year and was going to set all sorts of records, not just team records, but maybe some NFL records. Like He was the fastest player ever to 1,000 yards in a season. So he is that guy, and he is that productive. Easy case to be made for Tua. 
That being said, <laughs> as long as that alien up in Buffalo is still there, uh, I can't not pick Josh Allen because he still does things on the football that I have rarely ever seen anybody do. There's shades of Dan Marino. There's shades of Cam Newton. There's shades of stuff that we just haven't seen before. And I'm still not entirely convinced he's at his peak. That is how special a football player he is. I'm really, really excited to see what he does this year, hopefully with a healthier team around him, because when Josh Allen is at his best, there is literally nothing you can do to stop him. This one's consensus for us. Uh, There are all the reasons that you stated. The thing about Josh Allen is it feels like to me when you talk about his peak, he's starting to expect it. And sometimes that's a bad thing. That sounds like settling or, you know, expecting people to sort of kneel in front of you. I don't think that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is he's starting to expect that he's this good and can do all these things with regularity and has a comfort level that we haven't seen before. And that's how he is continuing to achieve this very high level of production. And I'm with you when he is hot. You just don't want that smoke. Yeah. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. You can have perfect coverage. He's going to drop it in the bucket 40 yards down the field in the middle of a windy Buffalo December day, and you're just going to, you know, cornerback's going to look at his defensive coach and go, what do you want? <laughs> like, it's Josh freaking Allen. I did everything you asked. And, you know, the defensive coach is going to look right back at him and be like, yeah, man, I don't, I don't have any coaching points for that. Get good, kid. That's literally all you can do. You're already really good, and you still got beat because he's literally one of the best in the league right now. Offensive player of the year in the division. Had a little bit of a split on this one, but we both went with a receiver. And there's a lot of good choices at receiver in this division. Who is yours? I went with Tyreek, and this is a bit of a departure for me. I thought that Tyreek's impact was a little bit overstated, and we saw that with the Chiefs. After he left the Chiefs, a lot of people said, oh, the Chiefs are going to collapse, no Tyreek. Well, they actually were better than ever. That has more to do with the Chiefs than it does with Tyreek. Tyreek had a great season in Miami, a legit awesome season, moving to a completely new system, Um, new coaches, new quarterback. He just kept producing at a ridiculously high level, and he has become a much more complete receiver. And we've talked about this for the last three years, that when he came in, it was speed, speed, speed. He's gotten better with catching the football. He's always been tough, but he is smarter about that now, and he's just really rounded out his game to where he is one of the best receivers in the NFL. I think people almost forget about that they don't certainly not in fantasy football or anything else but a lot of times you say like oh who are the top five receivers in the nfl like you, you hear, hear jamar you hear justin you hear Diggs, you know you'll you'll hear Devonte, and then it, it always feels like it's a oh yeah and tyreek right oh yeah and tyreek and so i'm i'm gonna push him up the board a little bit and say not oh yeah and tyreek because again you talked about Tua and his health on the field. That pretty much is the hinge for the entire Dolphins team. We talked about that during their episode. It is so important. But if he does, if Tua stays healthy and is dealing like he was last season, Tyreek has a legitimate shot to reach, even with you know some very good other players in his receiving core, 1,600 yards. Yeah. Like, that's not out of reach for the pace they were on. My pick, uh, also a receiver. It's going to be Garrett Wilson. And I know that's going out on a limb because 
if we are listing the top five receivers in the NFL. Is it though? <laughs> it is for a lot of people because he, for a lot of people, he's not even the top receiver in the own division. He's not even a top two receiver in his own division with Diggs and, and Tyreek still there, right? That being said, the stories coming out of Jets camp, like you remember the scene in, in John Wick where uh, the Russian gangsters is talking about uh, the job that he had John do and he's breaking apart the concrete floor and getting all the guns and talking about killing him with the pencil. The pencil. That's the stories coming out about Garrett Wilson right now from Jets camp. Like, he is the Baba Yaga. It's, it's almost unbelievable how much hype is around him right now, uh, how much the Jets beat is consistently beating the drum of you guys don't understand what this man is about to do to the NFL. That's right. That is the general consensus. And I'm buying into that because we saw him win offensive rookie of the year last year and be hyper productive with one of the worst quarterback situations in the NFL. What's he going to do with Aaron Rodgers? Right. That's like, it's like giving John wick, not just a, 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 a nine mil, but giving him like a full on rocket launcher. I am terrified of what he's going to do, but I can't wait to watch it. I fall back on both things cannot be true. Everybody that was heaping on Zach, and rightfully so, if that's the case and he still racked up well over 1,000 yards, (laughs) which one is it? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like, if it's a terrible quarterbacking situation, and it pretty much was, and he was still awesome and easily cracked 1,000 yards, what happens when you add Aaron Rodgers to the mix? Who knows? How to use an alpha wide receiver. He's proven it multiple times throughout his career with a bunch of different ones. Um, he is adaptable. Is one of the best young skill sets in the entire league. And Garrett Wilson, like he's not going to use that. Yeah, he is. It's Stevie Johnson, but more. And Jets fans in particular <laughs> respect Stevie Johnson more than anybody but Bills fans. So, like, it's it's actually ridiculous, like how much hype there is behind it. But it it might be justified. And that sank a lot. Keeping it with the Jets theme, I went with Quinn and Williams for obvious reasons. Uh, might be, if not the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL, he's certainly top three. He's definitely paid top three. Um, you know, somebody who could play anything from five technique to four eye to three technique to head up on the guard, you know, throw him in no shade if you want to. He can do anything and everything, and he can do it at an elite level. His impact on this Jets defense cannot be overstated. He's a phenomenal player, great pass rusher, great run defender. Um, I thought about going sauce because of all the reasons we talked about in the Jets episode of like, hey, they can play the coverages they play and they can design their run defense the way they design their run defense because they have sauce. But at the same time, acknowledging that (laughs) even though they play the run from two high safety looks all the time, they can only play the two high safety looks because they trust Quinnen to make the math not matter, right? So I, I think it's a, it's a chicken or the egg thing. It's like, are we good because of the coverages we play because of Sauce, or are we good because we could still stop the run with the coverage we, coverages we play because of Sauce, because we have Quinnen? Yes, you know, it, it, it all feeds into each other, but uh, I'm going to go Quinnen just because at the end of the day, somebody has to whoop ass up front, and that's his job. It's been a long series. I'm tired. (laughs) We've been doing this for months, and this might be the toughest choice in the entire series. So I'm going to punt 
I'm going to do a football thing. I'm going to punt. I'm just going to put the options out there and say, pick one out of the handful. You're not going to be wrong. Could be uh, Javon Holland. Could be Matt Judon. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention how good a season he had, and he's you know primed to have another one. Quinnen was on my list. Sauce was on my list. Hell, it could be Jordan Poyer. Or Milano. Like, or Milano. Like, or Vaughn. You know, just throw a dart at any of the defenses in this league, and there are at least three legit candidates, sometimes more, out of 11 players. So in the end, you end up with nine, ten legit threats to be defensive player of the year. I give up, man. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> it's just a good division. How about that? It's a great division. Offensive Rookie of the Year. We have consensus on this for all the reasons we talked about earlier. Dalton Kincaid. He's going to be a high-impact rookie for them. Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year. Also, for all the reasons we talked about earlier, Christian Gonzalez. He's going to get run early, uh, considering his man cover skills and how much man coverage they play in that defense. Could not ask for a better fit. Coach of the year. This one's tough because all four of these coaches are awesome. I mean, Bill Belichick's the GOAT, obviously. McDermott's great. Sala, we are big believers in. Mike McDaniel, we're big believers in. But if you really had to choose one coach of the year, AFC East 2023, who you got? I won't punt on this one. I'm going with Robert Sala. And he has faced an immense amount of pressure. Any coach in a New York market always will. But I think he's handled it really, really well. And this year he has a chance to really show what he's been building, he and Joe Douglas, together now that they have that last piece in place. They needed a competent quarterback. They got much better than a competent quarterback. We're going to see an increase in win total. We're going to see the same amount of scrutiny. We already are. Um, Jets hype train is unhinged already and rightfully so uh that combination of bright lights and a lot of focus and a greater win total the sort of plan coming together i'm gonna go with robert sala i'm gonna go with mike mcdaniel again for a lot of the reasons we talked about earlier uh that dolphins team was on a tear early in the year they were doing whatever they wanted on offense I mean, he made Tua into an elite deep ball passer, for God's sake. You know, like if you look at statistically Tua's deep ball, he was, if I recall correctly, if not number one, he was number three in pretty much every deep passing category in terms of efficiency, in terms of numbers of explosive plays, in terms of uh, big time throws. Like he was awesome. And a lot of that is because Mike McDaniel, right? Um, I think culture wise, Again, when we talk to our, our friends in that building, they can't they can't stop talking about how great he is for the locker room, how much the locker room loves him, how much the staff loves him, um, how much the fans love him. Like it, it, Miami just feels different now because of Mike McDaniel. He's the exact leader they needed to to kind of get through a little bit of a tumultuous time in the organization, and now it feels like those tumultuous times just never even happened, right? Um, I just I can't I can't properly convey how excited I am for him, for the Dolphins fans, um, and and how good of a coach I really think he is. I I think it's very possible he's not just coach of the division, but coach of the NFL this year, especially if the Dolphins go as far as I think they will. This is going to sound super strange, but the run that Miami was on early last year 
reminds me of the run that Tennessee was on early last year. Oh yeah. Well, God, they were both like what six and two, seven and three, something like that, before everything fell apart. Right, and they fell apart for different reasons uh, on each team. But as if you follow our podcast, you know how glowingly we talk about Mike Vrabel and mm-hmm. how good of a coach and a leader we think he is. Mike McDaniel, literally in his first year, basically reached that level in the first half of the season. Miami was 100% cooking before the wheels fell off. They were on a historic pace. We talked about it with Tyreek and records and Tua and you know where he was as a deep ball passer and how good and how opportunistic that defense was. Like The whole team was playing. They just looked like a complete threshing machine. And then Tua got hurt. And, you know, they still (laughs) managed, which is also awesome and the sign of a very good coach when we're talking about good coaching. But, like, the clip they were on before that happened in the first year of a head coaching tenure was unreal. So I don't have anything against you picking Mike McDaniel. And like you said, there's a case for all four coaches in this division. Might be the only division in the NFL where all four coaches have a legitimate shot. And for all those reasons that that you stated and that I stated earlier, I think that's why we have a consensus for division winner, which is not what I expected going into this, by the way, because we had talked about how much we love Buffalo and how underrated New England is and how, you know, how much potential the Jets have. And yet both of us, for all those reasons, still wound up picking Miami to win this division. Again, if they stay healthy, that's that's the caveat here. The offense is ridiculous. The defense under Vic should be ridiculous. The roster is insane. The culture is great. The home field advantage in the stadium is legendarily brutal. And now having experienced a September game in Miami myself, I don't know how anybody ever beats them in September because that is... It's like almost an actual medical hazard, (laughs) like how hot it is on the field. Yeah. Um, so, like, early season Miami is super tough to beat, but late season Miami is also super super tough to beat because they can run the shit out of the ball and play defense, too. Um, I just, I don't think they have a weakness. I really don't. And I think it's it's very possible that they wind up at the very top of the AFC. And it's, I think that Chiefs game that we're getting in Germany might be a, might be a preview of something pretty important in January. This pick and this team, to me, feels like a 1970s Ferrari. Ooh. When it's all tuned up and all six of those carburetors are perfectly aligned, it is the fastest fucking thing you can think of. For two hours until it breaks. (laughs) And then some little wing nut in the engine drops off and starts making a terrible noise. You got to pull over and fix it. But again, when you've got everything pulling together this is a high performance machine and they can rip through anybody but it feels a little bit like duct tape and paper clips in terms of it's all leveraged on whether or not their legitimate superstar quarterback stays healthy if he does good luck you'd want to play him offense defense coaching none of it you don't want any of it if they're hurt you got a chance to beat them well ej that wraps up this series. We finally made it. I want to extend a special thank you to all four of you that probably watched every single episode. Uh, I know what a time commitment it was to watch all these because I know what a time commitment it was to make all of these. 
Um, I also want to thank our editors, Jay, Autumn, Anthony, everybody who contributed to, um, you know, day in, day out in the trenches for like two and a half months straight. Literally day in, day out. How many texts, how many DMs at midnight, past midnight, Saturdays, Sundays? It took a huge effort, and it's not just us. Uh, without them, none of this would have come to you. So massive shout-out to them. They did superhero work on a lot of these episodes. A lot of these episodes came out looking smooth and sounding great. They didn't go in the can that way. Oh, my um, God. The Cowboys episode in particular. Like, you guys don't understand, <laughs> like, how much a pain in the ass it was to record the Cowboys episode. It was like a three-hour process. Everything that could have went wrong technically went wrong. But when you watch that episode, it came out great because of the editors. Absolutely a superhuman effort by them. Want to say, you know, a huge shout out to all the bootleg stands, all the bootleggers who've been with us since the beginning. But I also want to offer a really warm welcome to everybody that's joined us because the growth of the channel for this entire series, this entire summer has been unprecedented. Um, in terms of percentage, in terms of you just look every day and how many more subscribers there are. Um, it's very reaffirming to us that you like this content as much as we do because we didn't think anybody would like it as much as we do because we love this content. This feels like the most bootleg content we've put out. This is really what we wanted bootleg to be when we sat down three years ago and said, you know, what do we want to bring? What does our voice sound like? You know, where do we think we fit in the space? This series is really sort of a personification of that. And so welcome to everybody that's been with us since the beginning of the ride. And if you're just joining us, hang on. We got a lot more stuff coming at you this season. Also, one last shout out to our sponsors that helped to make this possible in the first place, because we wouldn't have been able to afford, you know, EJ flying up and down from L.A., me flying up and down to Seattle, you know, getting Verbo's, you know, backed up into a forest or overlooking the Puget Sound or everything that we had to do uh, to make this work. Like, it requires money, right? And yeah. and they, they gave us the money to do it. They're giving us the money so that we can travel to games and so that the, the show stays fully funded for two straight years. Um, all this growth is in no small part due to, due to Underdog, you know, taking a chance on us and and we couldn't possibly thank them enough either. And we want to thank everybody who, who used our promo code at underdog uh, and, and did signups and did deposits because that's what encourages them to come back and to fund us even more and to make more stuff. So uh, shameless plug promo code bootleg at underdog fantasy. They'll match your deposit up to hundred. The more of you that do that, uh, the, the more we get to keep doing this and, and living the dream and, and talking football for a living, which, uh, you know, weirdest job on planet Earth, but I wouldn't do anything else. 100% the weirdest job I've ever had, but also the greatest. Also a shout out to our clothing partner, Homage, who has supplied really cool threads for both of us throughout the series. You all have responded in a big way and gone and gotten new gear. Use the I'm link in the description. Right yep, you're rocking one of their super soft sweatshirts. Uh, big shout out to Kevin and the team and Homage. They've done a tremendous job. Um, we really love working with them as a partner. And speaking of shameless plugs, they will make our T-shirts and hoodies. We will accomplish that. So the next major business goal for bootleg is to be able to bring you bootleg gear that's that soft. Because I don't know what kind of magic they use to no, make T-shirts and sweatshirts. Dude. This is complete witchcraft. But we insane. want your witchcraft. So, Kevin, you're going to start making our shirts. But huge shout out to to everybody that supported homage again best way to have our sponsors come back is to interact with them so thank you thanks to them all right we have seahawks camp to go attend right now 
So we're going to go do that. And then we got the Hall of Fame game tonight, at least the day that we're recording this, the Hall of Fame game, speaking of the Jets. And then we're in the preseason and, and we're off to the races. So again, thank you all for watching and listening and, and sticking by us the last couple months. Uh, we really do appreciate all of you. And uh, we're going to go watch Geno Smith drop dimes to, to JSN. How about that? To the Trident. To the Trident. Ooh, is that what we're calling it? I coined it the Trident right after the draft. I was like, can we just call it the Trident? <laughs> Come on. It's a great day. Yeah. All right, let's go to Seahawks. Yep. See you guys later. Take care.